Hey, you guys! Something exciting's happening, and I want you to be the first to hear about it. You can go to the future, the future. I'm pretty sure you can spell that. Thefuture.girlboss.com to sign up to hear first about the evolution of Girlboss. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions: for side hustles and well-being, and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Hey guys, it's Sophia with another episode surprise of Girlboss Radio with another great guest.、Uh, Lizzie Velasquez spoke at our most recent Girlboss rally. She's extremely inspirational. And someone we're happy to be a continuing part of the Girl Boss family. She's an author, host, and motivational speaker, and was born with a rare disease called neonatal progeroid syndrome, which makes it impossible for her to gain weight. Her condition resulted in heavy bullying during her childhood. Communication is definitely a really, really, really big thing that I like to stress, and giving your kids the comfort to know that whether they are. Being bullied, or whether they might be the ones, unfortunately, who are doing the bullying, giving them the safe space to be able to open up and communicate about it, I think, is really important. That bullying was also the catalyst for her finding her purpose. When Lizzie was 17 years old, she stumbled upon a video that was titled "World's Ugliest Woman." To her shock, the video featured an image of her face. Lizzie was devastated that someone could be so cruel. However, it was in that moment of absolute despair that she decided to start her public speaking career. Since then, she's given speeches all over the world, including a TED Talk, which garnered over 17 million views. I did my TED Talk in 2013, and I still, on a regular basis, am recognized from. My TED Talk, and it blows my mind. In addition to public speaking, Lizzie has authored four books, including her most recent book, Dare to Be Kind, produced a documentary about her life called A Brave Heart: The Lizzie Velasquez Story, and hosted her own show on full screen called Unzipped, where she explores and challenges our society's beauty standards. We were able to come up with a way to be able to have me host. And have each episode focus on a different topic where we were talking about confidence and fashion and that kind of stuff, but also mix it with real life issues. Today, Lizzie is here to chat with our editorial director, Jericho Mandy Burr, all about how to overcome bullying, how to turn your suffering into purpose, and how to find the silver lining in adversity. We'll get to our chat with Lizzie in just a moment, but first, Maggie and I are going to talk all about what's going on here at the Girl Boss offices. Hey, Maggie. Hello. Welcome back.、Oh, I love being back. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like <laughs>、yeah. it's always fun. Yeah, it's always a fun jam with you.、Mm-hmm. Something we talk about a lot here at GirlBoss.com、mm-hmm. and on the podcast is 
money. Mm-hmm. And we actually just had an expert mm-hmm. come in to talk about personal finances, saving, 401ks. It's something that we're educating our yeah. team on, educating our audience on. and something that's really important to us because women are really underserved in this education area. So I'm curious. I know we wrote a piece recently on this, mm-hmm. and I'd love for you to share with us what um, and we just yeah, wrote a piece on this. We did. It's really interesting, too. Um, echoing what you said, I was just talking to a um, coworker, and she mentioned at her past job, she didn't realize the amazing perks of actually starting a 401k, and she didn't do uh, it till kind yeah. of the end, and realized how much money she wasted. Because if your company matches mm-hmm. um, whatever you put into your 401k, that's literally free money that you get. I mean, you don't get to keep it that year. You know, it's it's a savings. It's something that you use yeah. when you're retiring. But still, it's just people it's don't free, realize. It's free money. So mm-hmm. if you don't know what matching is, and I think companies can match up to 6%. If they're a great company, they'll yeah. match at 6%. I'm not sure where we are because we're a startup, but that's mm-hmm. where we want to be. Yeah, that's an amazing benefit yeah. that people just do not realize. Um, and I also was talking to somebody else on our team and he mentioned you can take money out of your 401k, which I've never heard of. I always thought there were penalties. You can't do that. So it's interesting when I stumbled upon this piece on Girl Boss. Mm-hmm. Didn't really stumble upon it. I knew it was there. But it was awesome to see that story because I realized this is such a hole and we really do not realize if you can take money out. And if you can, should you, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, and whole- it takes money, you know, it takes, it just takes a cut yeah. of your check. You don't have to go out of your way to put money into a 401k. If you sign up for it, the company does it for you, yep. makes their contribution uh, with matching. And yes, you can take it out early, mm-hmm. but my recommendation would be hang on to it for as long as you can. It's a savings account. And when you're saving money that you don't even see mm-hmm. before it goes away, you'll find a way to live with a little bit less. Mm-hmm. And you know you're investing in your future. And that's an incredibly important thing. It's an example that we want to set. Mm-hmm. And we can start early with that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The So in the article, the experts agree. They say, you know, don't touch the assets. Don't pull anything out of your 401k pot. Because if you do, there are taxes. Um, mm-hmm. There are additional taxes that you'll need to pay. That sounds kind of anti. So mm-hmm. you can take the money out without penalty, but you do have to pay taxes, Was it? which is somewhat of a penalty. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's there are, there are additional taxes because you're paying federal and state mm-hmm. um, taxes when you do take it out. And then you also... There is a penalty if you're younger than 59 and a half. You do have to pay an additional 10% early withdrawal penalty. Mm. So those are two fees already. And then your 401k interest growth is going to be way lower when you have less money in your account too. Mm. Um, So all of those say steer clear of the money. The only thing is like, let's say there's an emergency. I don't know. You owe something to the IRS or you're about to declare bankruptcy, you're paying a really high um, interest rate student loan. In those cases, sometimes you may need a large lump of cash. And in that case, you may think about taking a loan from your 401k. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's really the best option. Beyond a rainy day, like mm-hmm. straight up emergencies, right. really the only time we'd recommend right. pulling money out because you're it's a nest egg, right? It's not optional. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't have a nest yet, even if you've got roommates. You've got an egg. Your eventual nest. Bagak. Mm-hmm. And I think what also makes it just so unsexy is it's called 401k. Like right. it sounds like a like a government piece of paper, <laughs> which is just like, ugh, why would I, I fill that out? 
cute. I know. Uh, once you get oh over God. that, you realize <laughs> that it is sexy mm-hmm. and that saving money is sexy. Right. And then when you actually realize, when you look back, some and sometimes I feel like I do this, I forget to log in and, the, and to my account and I'll go check it out. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't know I have that much in there. Good job, Maggie. It's a secret. Yeah. So if our mm-hmm. listeners want to learn more mm-hmm. about starting a 401k, where can they go? Well, obviously, girlboss.com. Mm-hmm. Check it out. Um, there's more than just an article on cashing out. You can actually learn more about the 401k in general and how to save using it. Cool. And you search for 401k. Yes. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Maggie. Thank you. Now get ready to hear from author, host, and inspirational speaker, Lizzie Velasquez. I was born and raised in Austin, my favorite place in the whole world. And I was my parents' firstborn child. Mm -hmm. My earliest memories are full of lots of laughter, Mm -hmm. lots of family, lots of friends always around us. Um, I'm Hispanic, so both sides of my family are pretty large so having a lot of big parties for really no specific reason just to like be together with lots of food and family Mm -hmm. that was really what my childhood was made up of. Lizzie has a very rare condition called neonatal progeroid syndrome and went until the age of 25 without a diagnosis. She shared how her condition affects her and what finally getting a diagnosis meant for her. Growing up, my parents always took me to different genetic doctors, Mm -hmm. and I would stay in the hospital for like a week at a time, get all of these tests done, but every single test would come back normal. Mm -hmm. There was nothing that was dramatically different for them to say, okay, this is what you have. I would fit certain characteristics of certain things, but not enough to fully, I guess, qualify or be labeled with something. And when I was younger... My parents took me during spring break every year to go see a doctor. And by the time I turned 13 or 14 years old, they let me decide uh, if I wanted to go. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was really tired of it. I was Mm -hmm. tired of being poked and prodded and stared at. And there was nothing really different that they were finding. So I took a break uh, for a few years. And it wasn't until uh, I started college that I got in touch with a new doctor uh, in Houston, Mm -hmm. and I went to see him. I really liked him. He did the whole round of tests like we normally do, Um, and there was really nothing different test-wise that we did. He took my blood, and he studied my genes like one by one. Wow. And it took a long time. Hmm. And out of nowhere, they figured out officially what I was diagnosed with Mm -hmm. uh, when I was 25. And that's when they told me that I had neonatal progeroid syndrome. Mm -hmm. Wow. And what did it mean for you to have this kind of like final, like official diagnosis. Was it kind of arbitrary by that point or did it actually kind of like make a difference to you? Um, It actually, at the time when I found out, I was so busy with my career and everything in my life was just go, go, go. And so it was one of those things where, yes, it's a huge deal because Mm -hmm. for 25 years I had to get used to being 
this question mark and that question mark became my identity. Mm-hmm. And once I fully embraced it and took that out into the world, it was who I was. And then now all of a sudden that's being taken away from me. Mm-hmm. On one hand, it was terrifying and I thought I've taken so long to get used to this identity. Now someone's going to give me a new one. Mm-hmm. Am I going to lose credibility for what I've been standing for and saying because I was this undiagnosed girl Mm -hmm. and now I'm going to be the diagnosed girl (laughs) and so on that hand it was a really big deal but at the same time I was so busy that I didn't have the time to sit down and really think about that or really process it or figure out what does this mean Mm -hmm. and so I I just sort of let it go and thought, okay, great. Like this mm-hmm. is that's it. I know what I have. Let's. What am I doing tomorrow? Yeah. So it didn't really hit me until a few months later. Mm. Wow, that's kind of like maybe almost even better because you're like, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <I laughs> what mean, am I doing tomorrow? <laughs> I mean, yes and no. I think it was really such a big deal that mm. I. I think I. There was just no way at the time that I would have been able to process it. So mm. I think the the timing was was right, but at the same time, like it was a pretty big deal. <laughs> Lizzie dealt with a lot of bullying growing up and because of that, it's one of her main platforms when public speaking. She opened up about how it affected her as a child and as an adult today. Bullying affected me in so many different ways. I think I the way I handled it is sort of what made it different. Mm. Uh, I started being bullied when I was in kindergarten, so five years old. Mm. And a lot of it was hard for me to figure out, I guess you could say, because I couldn't tell that I looked different. I thought I was just like everybody else. And so the fact that I went in starting school thinking this is going to be so fun and so great, and then all of a sudden I'm hit with not that at Mm -hmm. all and having other kids just not want to have anything to do with me that was really really hard Mm -hmm. and really confusing for me especially because I had such a normal childhood at home Uh, that was really hard but as I got older it eventually went from bullying to cyberbullying which I'm sure we'll talk about later Mm -hmm. Uh, but bullying with me was luckily I don't want to say luckily but I guess the good thing is I never had to deal with anything physical. No one ever, like, Mm -hmm. pushed me or anything like that. Mm. Wow. It's all very harmful, though, isn't it? It's like you can't even compare almost. Yeah, no, not at all. I mean, I always tell kids, especially the power behind words can hurt Mm. just as much as someone actually physically hurting you. Mm. Yeah. What would you tell parents especially, I guess, um, because kids, uh, when they're that age, are just so young, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But parents, like, play such a role in that stuff. So how can we raise children to be less likely to be bullies? Right away, I have, like, 50 different answers for that. <laughs> but I, I always speak from my personal experience. And I've, I've only been a parent to for children, not actual human children. Mm -hmm. So I can only speak on what my parents did for me. Mm -hmm. And what I think worked so great for me was number one, sending me in to school or 
to church or to wherever wherever it was that I was going to be around my peers, they sent me in with no sense of fear, no Mm -hmm. sense of when this happens, when someone makes fun of you, this is what you do, or be careful because a kid is going to be staring at you. I never went in feeling like, when is it going to happen? And it hasn't happened yet or how am I going to handle it? I went in thinking today's going to be a great day. Mm-hmm. I can do this. It's going to be awesome. But then when I did encounter those things, they made it very easy for me to be able to talk to them about it. Mm-hmm. And I think communication is definitely a really, really, really big thing that I like to stress and mm-hmm. giving your kids the comfort to know that whether they are being bullied or with <laughs> whether they might be the ones, unfortunately, who are doing the bullying, Mm -hmm. giving them the safe space to be able to open up and communicate about Mm -hmm. it, I think is really important. That's so interesting, because I was also going to ask you, you know, what advice would you have for like how to stop a bully in their tracks? And it sounds like, you know, like not having your guard up and just really like, coming at it from like human to human with that kind of like nonviolent communication mm-hmm. approach is probably um a starting point right oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah. remembering mm-hmm. that there are always two sides of a situation and it's mm-hmm. not one person who did something wrong and one person who is the victim and needs help mm-hmm. it's two two totally separate situations and we have to remember to look at Not only the person who's being hurt, but the person who's doing the hurting because they're the ones that are hurting themselves as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you think that that kind of approach is, from what I've read anyways, actually kind of the easiest way to disarm a bully anyway? Because so often, you know, if you feel misunderstood or you feel hard done by, that's when you get on the attack or that's Mm -hmm. when you feel like you have to kind of like take things out on other people. But I guess if you're taking that approach, it may not even be, it might not even turn into a bullying situation to begin with, right? I mean, ideally, that would be incredible. I mean, if we, if there was a way that we can give these sort of recipes of how to handle a situation like that, I think it would be mm-hmm. amazing and we'd see a lot of less instances of bullying. But I'm a firm believer in telling at least one other person and Mm -hmm. if we're able to pass this on to at least one child your child and hopefully that child can take that to someone else and someone else and it'll just keep going I think that would be pretty cool Mm -hmm. yeah and so you're the oldest Mm -hmm. of three yes when you know one child like in a family has a medical condition Mm -hmm. it can create like a tough dynamic I guess Mm -hmm. what was that like for your family I'm so happy you asked me that nobody Mm -hmm. ever asked me that question oh really yeah yeah I just feel like you know I, I was wondering you know like how did how how what was it like but also like if you felt any kind of like guilt around that when it comes to your siblings and like how you got past that yeah no I really uh, thank you for asking that welcome um yeah so it I definitely think my parents took care of each of us in a way that we needed Mm -hmm. I needed them to care for me in a little bit different way that they needed to care for my brother and sister and what I appreciated is that they never made it feel that way Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I never felt like they were having to 
do less things for my brother and my sister because they had to take care of me more. Mm-hmm. What they would always do if I would randomly get sick or have to be in the hospital and my sister or my brother had a dance competition or a band competition, they always made sure if one of them couldn't be there, if they both had to be with me, they would make sure another family member was there in their place. Mm-hmm. They never sent us out anywhere where it was just them on their own. They mm-hmm. always made sure that it was either one of them, both of them, or someone else that was there to help. And even the same with me. Mm-hmm. If I was at the hospital and they couldn't get there, I would have a family friend come stay with me. But they definitely made it a point. Um, I mean, I remember when we were all younger, and it was during the summertime, and my um, appendix ruptured. Mm-hmm. And then three weeks later, the scar tissue wrapped around my intestines mm-hmm. and I had to have part of my colon removed. Mm-hmm. And it was right when we had planned a family vacation to go to the beach. Mm-hmm. And it was this whole, what are we going to do? Like, I don't want to ruin this vacation because yeah. I'm having to be sick because they have sacrificed so much for me before. But it ended up working out where I still went to the beach. I had 18 staples in my stomach. Yeah. But I still went um, <laughs> because I wanted to just, you know, make it happen. Mm. Um, but my parents definitely made it to where all three of us were getting what we needed mm-hmm. from both of them. There are only a few people in the world who share Lizzie's condition, which can probably feel very isolating. Yet, because of her condition, she has also been able to connect with millions of people all across the globe. So Jericho asked Lizzie, overall, does having a rare disease make you feel more isolated or more connected with people? I definitely think it's a little bit of both. Um, I mean, there are still days now where I feel frustrated that I don't look like everybody else. And I... If you would have asked me that a couple years ago, I would have said, I love the way that I look, even though in the back of my mind I knew that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm at a stage in my life now where I'm just like, I'm just going to be real about these things because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, we're all human mm-hmm. and we can relate more to people who are being really honest, even when it's uncomfortable. So there mm-hmm. are days where I do get frustrated and annoyed and just think, okay, it's been 29 years of feeling this annoyance that that I don't look like everybody else. Um, But then I'm quickly reminded that because I don't look like everybody else, I'm able to remind everyone that that's okay. Mm -hmm. It's great to own who you are. It's amazing and it's beautiful to own your uniqueness. And for me to be able to do that is definitely a privilege and a Mm -hmm. responsibility that I don't take lightly. But Mm -hmm. there are days that I do have to remind myself that I could do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting because I can imagine that that sense of responsibility is what, you know, would drive you like in the past to be like so positive and like I love the way I look Mm -hmm. and, you know, because you don't want to let anybody down and you you know your message is so important. But um, it's a lot of pressure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are, if you're, if you're out there and you're telling people love who you are and you're standing on stages and telling hundreds of people you're amazing just the way you are and then you go home and you're looking in the mirror and you're thinking oh I hate this Mm -hmm. or why does that look like that and you feel like well you can't how can you make these two things 
be the same because now I have to go out on the stage and if I tell them the truth of I was just crying backstage because I don't like the way my hair looks today Mm -hmm. they're gonna think less of me and so I definitely did have to find a way to be able to say okay Lizzie yeah just be real yeah just be real and like that's okay yeah um that's yeah it's it's kind of like very similar to imposter syndrome I think that a lot of people go through where they're like saying something but they're like oh I feel like that's I'm not being authentic you know Mm -hmm. but I can't be because I feel like that's gonna show me up as like not like acting like something that you're not or something and I think you having that conversation about actually this isn't just this black and white thing like I Mm -hmm. have bad days like everybody else is really a way of just letting other people know that like yeah that's that's totally normal yeah I mean it's not we see it on social media Mm. all the time whether it's Mm -hmm. Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube whatever it is we have the ability to throw on every filter and change things and add things and do all of these things and by the time you post it it's nowhere close to the original picture that it started Mm -hmm. so I like to remind people that social media is an incredible place but Mm -hmm. you have to remember that it's oftentimes a highlight reel of people's lives Mm -hmm. and I, I I I've been trying to make it routine for me to be able to on a day that I'm feeling really bad or down to post about it mm-hmm. at least once because I definitely I've, I've seen that more I get more of an engagement from people when I do those kinds of posts where I don't touch a single thing and my mm-hmm. caption is completely honest mm-hmm. and people respond to it so much more versus today's an incredible day and it's sunny and happy and bright and mm-hmm. all those things are great but I think it's really cool to be able to show both sides. Yeah. It kind of reminds me of, and I think this is like, this was said by someone in relation to writing, but I think it applies to like everything that the more personal something is, the more universal it Mm -hmm. actually is. And just being able to like, just speak your truth really encourages others to do the same. And it's so in line with, you know, your mission. Yeah. So that's really it nice feels to so hear. so freeing too. Mm. And it's yeah. one of those things, like once you feel it, like once you're able to just like go out and be real, like you feel this sense of power, like, mm. oh, I yeah. did it. Like, yes, this is awesome. You can do it too. Yeah. And then you get that like excitement and you want to encourage other people to do it because yes, it's terrifying. And I actually... I learned this from one of my good friends who's also also a motivational speaker, mm-hmm. uh, Alexis Jones. She was telling me, uh, it was a few months after we first met, mm-hmm. uh, and what I, had, what I had known about her up until that time was she's this gorgeous girl, and she walks into a room, and she just takes control of it, and mm-hmm. she does all these incredible things, and she she and I were talking, and she was telling me that she was invited uh, to speak to a group of women at an Ivy League school mm. and that she felt so intimidated mm. going into it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how could you be intimidated by them? You're going to speak to them. And in my mind, I see you as this incredible person. Mm. And she said that she went up there and she felt so nervous. And instead of trying to hide it, she was honest. And she told them, I'm just going to let you know that I'm really nervous right now. 
and it instantly took that wall down and everyone in the audience was kind of able to take a deep breath with her Mm. and she did an incredible speech because she felt so much more comfortable just saying hey I'm nervous yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's so amazing I love that I want to start saying that in meetings. <laughs> yeah, you should. <laughs> yeah, for real. Let's just get this out of the way. Mm-hmm, totally. We have so much more with Lizzie coming up, but first, let's talk about ZipRecruiter. So we all know that hiring can be really difficult, and it's been hard over time. There's so many job sites, and there's so many stacks of resumes, and so many of our listeners are employers, are small business owners, large business owners. And now, with ZipRecruiter, hiring is made simple. All you have to do is go to ZipRecruiter.com slash girlboss. ZipRecruiter takes your job posting and sends it to over 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. They have powerful matching technology and scans thousands of resume to find people with the right experience to actually invite them to apply for your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And as we all know, speed is of the essence when you're hiring. Um, It's what keeps you competitive, allows you to build more quickly. It's something I think a lot about here at Girlboss. Obviously, we don't want to be hasty, but the earlier we get candidates in, the earlier we can start vetting them. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is the highest rated hiring site in America. And right now, Girlboss Radio listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive URL, ziprecruiter.com slash girlboss. That's ziprecruiter.com slash girlboss, Z-I-P-R-E-C-R-U-I-T-E-R.com slash girlboss. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. We have so much more with Lizzie coming up, but first, I want to talk a little bit about ShipStation. We've talked a lot about ShipStation on Girlboss Radio, and it's an incredible tool, something I wish I had when I was building Nasty Gal. Uh, And there's so many of these incredible digital platforms for us to start businesses, e-commerce businesses, anything where you're shipping things, and ShipStation makes it easier. So whether you're using Etsy, Shopify, Squarespace, WooCommerce, or over 75 other popular selling channels, ShipStation imports all of your orders, addresses, names, weight, everything from your e-commerce platform, and allows you to create shipping labels from all the top carriers, including UPS, FedEx, and USPS. And you'll ship more in less time with the best rates available. So right now, try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our promo code GIRLBOSS. And we use ShipStation at GIRLBOSS to ship our merchandise, to ship anything, to ship returns, to ship gifts to everybody we love here. It's been an incredible tool for us to just expedite that out the door as quickly as possible. Go to ShipStation.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in Girlboss. That's ShipStation.com, enter Girlboss. ShipStation, make ship happen. Now let's get back to our interview with Lizzie Velasquez. Lizzie had one particularly dark moment when she found a YouTube video of her face with the caption, World's Ugliest Woman. She revealed how that video ended up being the catalyst for her life's purpose. 
I feel personally that my life was always meant to help others Mm -hmm. because even when I was in elementary school, I remember, I remember specifically my dad telling me, what is your dream job? And I said, I want to be a waitress. (laughs) And he said, are you sure? And why do you want to be a waitress? And I said, because I want to help people and I want to serve them. So I feel like it's always been in me Mm -hmm. to do something that helps people and for me to be able to find that purpose I could have never in a million years guessed what would be on that road for Mm -hmm. me to find that purpose which is also one of the biggest gifts I've ever received I found the video when I was 17 Mm -hmm. so up until that point I was again living in this body that looked different for 17 years so I already Mm -hmm. had I already knew that not everyone saw me the way that I saw me. I didn't even know how I saw myself. I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And even I I had a taste of it. Mm-hmm. I had a taste of knowing what it was like to be different. So when I found the video on accident, I always tell people, like, all you have to do is close your eyes. Imagine you're looking at a YouTube screen and mm-hmm. you see your picture and you see someone calling you the ugliest person in the world Mm -hmm. then you see that over four million people saw it then you see that there were thousands of comments just bashing you Mm -hmm. you know what it's like and I don't even have to like go Mm -hmm. into more detail about it because you instantly get it Mm -hmm. and so finding that was kind of just like all right I work so hard to just be able to walk in a room and smile. Mm-hmm. Now, how am I going to be able to even walk into that room again? Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of just like, I can either stay on this floor and cry, which I stayed for a while, mm-hmm. or I could use the support system, use my friends, use my family, use my own personal strength that was waiting for me to find mm-hmm. and stand back up again and take things in to my own hands. And I'm a very stubborn person, (laughs) and so when I get an idea in my head, I will do whatever I have to do to make it happen, and I won't be able to not think about it until I do it. Mm -hmm. And so I think I knew I needed to get back up again, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know how. Mm -hmm. And I knew once I would stand up again that I'd, I'd figure it out from there. Yeah. What advice would you have for other people who you know, have gone through like a traumatic life event and feel like maybe, you know, there's an opportunity there, which I would hope, you know, there always is to turn that into like a a soul mission like yours. I think my first piece of advice would be to feel your emotions. Feel every Mm -hmm. single emotion that you have in that moment, whether it's sadness, whether it's happiness, whether... One day you feel excited for some odd reason, take it all in, mm-hmm. embrace it, let those emotions out. And once you do that, you have to decide for yourself and only for yourself, nobody else, that you are going to stand back up again on mm-hmm. your own. Mm-hmm. Because so many people can give you advice, you can read books, you can meditate, you can do all of these things, but none of it is going to work unless you decide that you're going to allow it to work. Mm. So knowing that whatever this journey is going to look like, it's going to be an emotional one. 
But as long as you're ready to sort of just stand up and say, okay, what is the next step? Mm -hmm. What is tomorrow going to look like? Because you have to take it a day at a time. Mm, As long as you know that you're going to, you're going to fail, you're going to get back up, you're going to learn a lot, Mm -hmm. but you can do it Mm -hmm. no matter what. Mm. And speaking of like next steps, so what did it look like between, you know, the time when you were 17 and you found that video and the time that you went like completely viral with your TED talk like at what point were you like okay I ha- I have like not only the motivation to you know keep going and like turn this into like my greatest strength but I know like exactly how I'm gonna do it that time in my life looked a bit different because I had started telling my story initially through like local news and newspaper kinds of things uh, and then after that fears down the road I was approached to do an interview with a magazine in the UK and mm-hmm. I did it over the phone and talked to the reporter for like an hour, told her my story, you know, mm-hmm. that was it. Mm-hmm. And about a week or two later, we got a copy of the interview uh, in the mail and the headline said, girl must eat every 15 minutes or she'll die. And it was like, what in the world? Why did she, where is this coming from? Because I talked to her for like an hour and I lived and I didn't eat at all the whole time we were (laughs) talking. Not even accurate. Yeah. And so once that like went out, my emails started going crazy. Mm -hmm. And then this was back when like people would call you on your like house phone Mm -hmm. on the landline. And our house phone was just ringing nonstop. And it was like NBC and ABC and all these places were calling because they wanted to talk to the girl who had to eat every 15 minutes or she'll die. Oh, my God. And it was just the most bizarre thing because it spread like wildfire. It went everywhere so fast. And we got a call from a producer on the Today Show. Mm -hmm. And they called and said you know are you her and my first thought was do I tell them the truth right now or do I tell them when I get there Mm. and so I told them when I got there (laughs) like the truth and everything and Mm -hmm. you know just sort of told my story and it it definitely wasn't like oh my goodness we don't want to talk to you now it was more just me you know being able to tell my story Mm -hmm. so I did that and then once I did that I was going to college I was still speaking I'm doing everything on my own. Still, I would go to school Monday through Thursday full-time. Friday, I would fly out to do Mm -hmm. my speeches, Mm -hmm. um, work on my first book at the time, and work Mm -hmm. on my homework at the hotel, and then go back and do it all over again. Wow. So it was, like, pretty crazy. Yeah. Um, And I remember being asked to do, like, seeing the email to do my TED Talk, Mm -hmm. and I didn't know what it was. (laughs) I thought TED was... You're like, who's TED? No, really. I thought it was spam because I saw TEDx and I thought, I don't know what this is. And I ignored it. And then they kept emailing me and I I told my dad about it. And he was like, what do you mean? Like, that is something. So I replied and I did it. I had no idea, even like going to rehearsal, like any, I didn't know. That's so funny. It was like a part of like the TED world. I just thought it was a speech that I was doing. 
That's so funny. I I saw a sponsored ad on Instagram yesterday that was like targeted to me and it was like, um, do you want to do a TED Talk? This is how. And it's like people making careers out of like getting other people to apply to, for TED Talks now. There, I mean, I've, I've st- I did my TED Talk in 2013 and I still on a regular basis and recognized from Mm. my TED talk and Mm. it blows my mind Mm. that that happened especially because I usually take December off and that was Mm -hmm. my last speech of the year at the beginning of the month and I thought well that's fun I just went home and (laughs) ordered Chinese food and called it a day and thought it was break time and two weeks later it went viral and my whole world changed after that. In Lizzie's TED Talk, she speaks about what she believes to be the benefits of adversity. Lizzie shared what she believes hers are and how she recommends for others to find their own personal benefits of adversity. My dad is super, super funny. Mm -hmm. And I feel like me and my brother and sister have each got his sense of humor. And for us, we always found humor, even in the hardest times Mm -hmm. we would always find something to laugh at and so for me growing up if I was able to laugh at the fact that I don't have vision in one eye but I do in the other at least I get half price on contact lenses Mm -hmm. so it's things like that to where it's like the benefits versus you know Mm -hmm. what other people might not have yes I might not be able to wear adult size shoes but I get to pay less for pay less not the store but I get to pay (laughs) less money Mm -hmm. (laughs) for kids shoes so there's Mm -hmm. always a benefit and I think Mm -hmm. the lesson in that is knowing no matter what is different about you someone else in the world at the exact same moment has it worse than you do Mm -hmm. and so keeping that reminder in the moment where you're feeling down about yourself or feel like Mm -hmm. something about you is different and nobody else knows what it's like somebody does Mm, yeah that's really important to remember and Mm -hmm. you know like one of your books is called choosing happiness is that how is that a part of how you choose happiness like what does it mean to to do that and like how does it help you to choose happiness Mm. oh man choosing happiness is not easy Mm -hmm. I will be the first to say But to me, choosing happiness is choosing to say that, I know I I feel like I keep repeating myself, but I feel like choosing happiness is choosing to get back up again, Mm. no matter what. Mm -hmm. And if you try something and you fail, it's getting back up again and doing it again, or even just trying it at all. Mm. If there's an idea you have that you feel like someone's probably going to say, like, that's never going to happen. As long as you stand up and take that step and try to do it, you find that happiness in yourself because you instantly have this sense of, I did it, the sense of pride and and I can do whatever I put my mind to, even though it's going to be hard. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it's just doing what you want and doing what you believe in. Mm -hmm. I love it because it's like you do have to choose you know like I think sometimes people feel like why am I not happy you know like I just woke up and I expect myself to be happy but you know the brain is like it's so valuable and it needs that kind of direction like Mm -hmm. to be able to make that choice which is often a hard choice it's Mm -hmm. like it's actually like that literal sometimes yeah it is it really is Mm. it starts with you waking up in the morning and not 
instead of dreading having to go to work or doing whatever start mm-hmm. with a positive affirmation and today's gonna be a good day mm-hmm. so I gotta do today's gonna be a good day no matter what yeah so you're like a strong Catholic mm-hmm. and your family mm-hmm. how important do you think like having a spiritual practice is like for you but also for anyone when it comes to you know finding like inner strength my my family the way that my parents raised us the way that we grew up was having our faith first Mm -hmm. it was always our faith our family and then our friends and we grew up in the catholic church we grew up going to sunday school and being in the choir and being a reader at church and doing all of these things and and being proud of what we believe in and and doing our sacraments and all of this stuff but Mm -hmm. we were also taught to accept every and any other religion that we learn about Mm -hmm. and never to think less or to look down on it and we were encouraged we we still are we still are so accepting and so welcoming and it's exciting for us to make new friends who aren't catholic Mm -hmm. and we are able to listen to whatever they believe and what keeps them going and and for me it's not it's not about what you believe or who you believe in it's how you apply that to your life Mm. and how you let that shine through your personality and your values and the things that you do because it can be such a beautiful center of your life and if you allow that to shine and bring that to other people that's incredible When Lizzie wanted to start public speaking, she literally Googled how to become a motivational speaker, which is always a good place to start. She told Jericho how she went from that Google search to speaking professionally, full-time, and how you can too. I literally Googled how to be a motivational speaker, (laughs) and I watched different speakers on YouTube, Mm -hmm. and I watched do they walk around? Do they stand at a podium? Mm-hmm. Do they have a PowerPoint? Do they have a slideshow? Do they have a video? Do they have note cards? How long do they speak? And I could only watch for so long and I needed the hands-on mm-hmm. experience. And I thought no one's gonna call this girl from high school that they don't even know she's a speaker. Cause I mean, let's be honest, I really wasn't even a speaker at that time. <laughs> um, but I, in order for me to get to where I wanted to go, I had to put myself out there. And for some reason, my brain said, make a website and make an email address and send emails to um, send emails to local churches or mm-hmm. different school organizations and just say, my name is Lizzie. This is what I've gone through. If you need a speaker give me a call Mm. I wasn't going to charge anyone because I did not know what I was doing (laughs) and I really just wanted to test out what I saw in those YouTube videos Mm. and so I started getting more and more people who were inviting me to go speak and it started out with just random churches and small groups then slowly started getting bigger and bigger then I was asked to do my first out-of-state speech I don't even remember where it was Mm -hmm. I think it was in New York or something um and after that I just kept going wow what about a book deal similar kind of question 
how did how did your book deal first come about Mm -hmm. and how how do you get one (laughs) how do you get one well the good news is I've experienced every type of way to get a book deal. <laughs> yeah. Everyone has been different. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have four books that mm-hmm. are out. Um, my first book was self-published, mm-hmm. but not by me, if oh. that makes sense. So I wrote it when I was a freshman in college. I wrote mm-hmm. it with my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I My mom wrote the beginning, like the beginning of my life. Mm-hmm. And then I started writing the second half from where I started really remembering Mm -hmm. uh, and the things that I've gone through. And so there was a couple uh, in San Antonio who approached us and said, we want to help share your story through a book. I've always loved writing. I always knew I wanted to publish a book. Mm -hmm. I didn't know about what. I didn't really know anything about anything when it came to writing a book. Mm -hmm. And so um, we worked with them and they self-published it. Uh, and it was mostly sold on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, we published it in English and then had someone translate it into Spanish. Mm-hmm. And so that was the first one. Um, the second one, once my story started getting out there a little bit more, a Catholic-based publishing house mm-hmm. in St. Louis mm-hmm. reached out. And mm-hmm. they told me, we want to give you a book deal uh, we'll see how the first one goes. And so my second book came out with them. It was definitely more faith-based. Mm-hmm. Um, each chapter had a Bible verse at the beginning. Mm-hmm. It was definitely geared towards a younger audience, a uh, preteen audience. Oh, yeah. So there was spaces mm-hmm. to write at the end of each chapter. And mm-hmm. it's more like an interactive book, I guess. Cool. Uh, mm-hmm. So I did my second one with them. I ended up doing my third one with them. Then for the fourth one, which was and is my biggest one, mm-hmm. after my TED Talk went viral, I was approached by a lot of different publishing houses, mm-hmm. and it was just a lot at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I was introduced to um, a writing agent, mm-hmm. more so of a middleman yeah. from me someone to help really just guide me Mm -hmm. through all of this because it was a lot Mm -hmm. um she was based in new york Mm -hmm. and once i started working with her i decided that i wanted to tell my story in the real way Mm -hmm. because i felt like the first three books were very bubble gummy Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of just like Happy and positive. Yeah, positive, mm-hmm. rushing over everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted this one to just be real and raw. Mm-hmm. And um, we came up with the proposal. We pitched it around to different publishing houses. Uh, I met with different ones and ended up going with Hachette, mm-hmm. uh, based in New York as well. And that's how we did the fourth one. Amazing. And an audiobook. I did my first audiobook. Oh, cool. I think self-publishing is like a really interesting route that obviously more and more people are going down it. But I think there's other people that maybe forget about it as an option, yeah. you know, and I think it's a great way to kind of, um, you know, practice as well as like getting something out there without relying on anyone but yeah. yourself. Yeah, there's no... There's no limits and you can explore whatever type of writing that 
you love and I definitely encourage that and think that it's definitely a way to start. Lizzie has a show on full screen that she hosts called Unzipped with Lizzie Velasquez. She shared what that process has been like and how she likes hosting. Oh my goodness. So with that, I felt like everything that I've done in my life has just been so incredible and happened at like the right time that it was supposed to. And with the show, I... I pitched it without realizing that I was pitching it, the idea for it. I knew I had wanted to create a series where I was able to talk about fashion and fun things versus just bullying, mm-hmm. but I also wanted to stick with my roots and what what I really, you know, why I do what I do. And so we were able to come up with a way to be able to have me host and have each episode focus on a different topic where we were talking about confidence and fashion and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. but also mix it with um, real life issues, mm-hmm. what to wear on a first date, to a job interview, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I had never hosted anything in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I was so nervous, mm-hmm. but I loved it. Yeah. I loved it so much. Before she left, Lizzie revealed her most recent girl boss moment. Buying my first house. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> yeah. That was a big one. Mm-hmm. I this August I'll be in my house uh for a year. And congratulations. That, thank you. Mm-hmm. That definitely was by far the biggest and best proudest moment I think I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Um I stubbornness came into play again and I knew I wanted to get a house. I had no idea how hard oh. it is, especially when you're doing it on your own mm. and you're learning everything on your own. Mm-hmm. And I had my parents to like help me, but I really wanted to be the one to learn all the lingo, mm-hmm. <laughs> learn so the linger. steps that I needed to take and I cried like every day Mm -hmm. and there were so many times where I was like, this just is not going to happen, but it ended up happening. And that was probably the day that we closed was like the best moment ever. Okay. Last question is this. We're always trying to redefine success at Girl Boss. What does success really mean to you? Success to me means learning to be comfortable in the things that make you uncomfortable I think for me that means going out and trying things that terrify you at least once Mm -hmm. because in that moment when you're doing it you're instantly going to learn so many things about yourself that you never would have learned unless you took that risk and going out there I mean even if it goes horribly wrong at least you're going to have a story to tell another day. And if you go out and you're hugely successful at something that you were so scared of doing, you're going to be able to trust yourself a little bit more. And the adventure, the adventure lies in the things that you try. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's just so fun to be able to see what you can do because you'll always surprise yourself. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Girlboss Radio today. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, and check out our newest podcast. It's a hit podcast. I think I can confidently say that. Jen Gotcha's okay sometimes. And remember, if you want to see what the future of Girlboss will look like, go to thefuture.girlboss.com. See you guys next week.